My name is Joshua Snacky. For five years, I was stranded on an island with only one goal, record this podcast. And after many outtakes, I think I finally nailed this opening. So I'm very happy to announce that we're going to be talking about Arrow on today's episode of the Anniversary Brothers podcast. Joining me as usual is my brother, Aaron. Aaron, say hi. Hi. Um, it, I mean, you said five years and I was like, have we as the Anniversary Brothers reached a five year anniversary yet? Are we doing an anniversary of an anniversary yet? Maybe I maybe stopped counting. I think we're I think we're like ago. three or four years. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check it. If, yeah, maybe someone's been keeping track of this. I don't know. Maybe maybe our guest today, who tracks everything for the site, knows this. Not to put him on the spot, um, but you know him and love him as the host of the TV Break podcast, as well as one of the hosts of the Bill versus the MCU podcast. It's not the Bill part of it, though. It's also not the MCU part of it, technically. And then finally, you know him as one of the members and hosts of the Cinema Joe's podcast. We are happy to welcome, for the first time to the podcast, the podcast editor at Pop Break, Alex Marcus. Thank you, Josh. I'm so excited to be here. And to answer your question, you guys started doing the TV version of this podcast in the summer of 2020. So right, we've yeah, got least, we've got a, we've got two years at least, a little over two years on this side of things. Okay, right, yeah. Actually, now I'm remembering when we first recorded our first podcast was I think the summer of 2018, and that was actually even before we had the anniversary part of it. We I was literally just looking at movies that we had just in our dvd collection like let's talk about looper there's no like anniversary for it but just just talk about it i mean <laughs> never a bad time to see to talk about looper <laughs> i will say i feel kind of justified in in this five year not five year mark just knowing how oliver queen measures five years on an island including two and a half years not on an island in that so this he lies I, I think, from you from like the very first sentence. Yeah, can't can't trust that Oliver Queen. Very not even very his internal monologue. Not even no. his internal monologue is is uh, reliable. No, no. Which thank goodness they scrapped that. But yeah, so we're talking about arrows. So that is celebrating its tenth anniversary. It came out. Uh, the pilot came out on October tenth of twenty twelve, and yeah, I'm very curious. Um, I'm going to start with with you, Alex, because I, I kind of have a sense of where Aaron first saw this. But when did you first watch Arrow or start getting into it? So I started watching this show when I was home with a weird medical condition from work for a few weeks uh, in uh, the spring of, I believe it was 2015. <laughs> I had this like weird situation where like every time I stood up, I got dizzy. So I had to like stay in bed until they figured out what was going on. Luckily it was nothing serious. But in the meantime, the only thing that I really could do was watch TV. And I decided to finally bite the bullet and watch Arrow because I had been watching The Flash and I really liked mm -hmm. The Flash, but I had always resisted watching Arrow. And I and they had started doing the spin off like the the crossover episodes. And I was like, you know what? I like I like Stephen Amell in the crossover episodes. I might as well give it a chance while I'm while I'm cooped up in my house. And so I just kind of plowed through the first I think probably three three and a half seasons of the show and uh it was it was an education for sure <laughs> okay and it's been a love-hate relationship ever since I'll say <laughs> oh I mean that's the only kind of relationship you have with the show um I will say that you kind of having this 
you know, medical bout of not being able to balance is is very fitting considering how much vertigo plays into the first season. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So yeah, so you kind of came in a little late, but yeah, definitely you came in way of the flash, which is, um, you know, definitely not how some people came in, but I think, of, you know, not an uncommon way considering the flash was um, somewhat of a bigger name than Green Arrow, I'd say. Yeah. I think the flash always got better ratings than Green Arrow did. So I'm yeah. sure I'm not the only one who doubled back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I'd say that for me, I got into it around the same time. Um, probably like it was the first year of my um, grad school, um, my two years in grad school. And I think I had gotten like a Best Buy gift card for graduation um, from from undergrad. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Best Buy and buy whatever nonsense there is. Oh, Arrow. I've heard good things about that. I'll buy that. And so I pretty much binged Arrow for like the first month of grad school, which is probably why I don't remember much from the first month of grad school except Arrow. Um, and yeah, it's from there, uh, that was actually really good timing because I got into that um, just as the flash was starting. Um, so I got to like watch the episode where uh, Barry was introduced in the, in the arrow. And then I got to watch the flash right after that. I was like, okay, this is perfect. Oh. I don't have to have this setup wait too long. Um, which unlike some other spinoffs for this show actually materialized. So that was nice. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then Aaron, I know that you watched the DVDs that I bought. Is that correct? Is that how you got into it? Yeah. So I believe that you bought the first couple seasons and then not too long after because of your recommendation, I said, yeah, okay, I'll watch it. And then the third season kind of came and went and I kept waiting for you to buy it the, the next season, but I was like, he's not buying it. I'll just buy it. I'll buy the third season. I'll watch it. And then, uh, I was I was done that and was ready for the fourth season. Okay, and they said I'm not buying another season this ever again. I refuse. Uh, I just felt like three felt like a good stopping point, as, especially if you as we talk about the Oliver's journey. In a weird way, the season three finale feels like a series finale. Yeah, they, this the show is even though you I, know there are yeah. two other seasons at least because he has two other years before he came back home, right? Due to the the flashback narrative set up for the the first five seasons, um, yes, th this is a show that definitely had to reinvent itself several times throughout its run, um, in a way that did not uh, maintain the interest of all viewers, including myself. So, um, Alex, I know you said before we started recording that you had watched the pilot and the the final or the finale for this um yes did you watch the entire series i watched almost the entire series so while you guys were talking i just looked back and it was definitely season four where i where i started watching it and got mm -hmm. and then went and went back and like did season one through four so i did all of that kind of like in a row and then season five was my first season where i was trying to watch it weekly 
and it definitely <laughs> i had this sort of love-hate relationship with the show for a while where i would kind of fall off because the show would feel really repetitive and like we were just doing the same thing over and over again but then i would tune back in because they had a crossover and i would usually watch like a few of the episodes ahead of the crossover so i knew what was going on and then after the crossover i would probably fall off and then i would come back in for the finale so i've seen most of the series but they were definitely like four or five episodes in like every in definitely season six and seven that I just didn't watch at all. And I feel good about that choice. I feel like I was able to catch up. But I did watch all of season eight when it aired, and I thought that that was a really cool season um, because it's for people who don't know, Arrow kind of ends in this very unusual way where it basically the whole final season is this run up to this massive crossover event called Crisis on Infinite Earths, which kind of like sucks in all of the uh dc tv universes and so the entire first seven episodes of the show of that final season is sort of like uh oliver having made this deal with this cosmic being that he's gonna give his life to help save this great save the crisis from happening uh is kind of like prepping for this big event while kind of going through different like alternate earths and various parts of his past and having different guest stars coming back in and and having like these nice sort of like one-off send-offs for people as he's preparing for the big event and then the big event happens and then there's two episodes left of arrow uh one of which is just a kind of a backdoor pilot spinoff for uh this this show that ended up not getting picked up to series called uh green arrow and the canaries which was supposed to follow oliver's future set daughter uh who is a factor in the later seasons of the show um as she kind of takes on his mantle in 2040. Uh, and so we get just like a full pilot episode of that. Uh, and then the final episode is Oliver's funeral because he dies in the crisis two episodes before the end of his own show. And so he's not actually alive in the entire final episode. He gets a couple of flashbacks that are original things that were shot for the episode, but are presented as flashbacks. Um, and he gets a, a nice little um, afterlife moment with his best girl, Felicity, at the end, and then that's it. And so it's a very unusual way to end a show. Um, but that final season is great. It's so exciting. It's so fun. It feels like a nice kind of like send off uh, for all the different versions of the show and all the different things it could do while really building uh, in a much better way than The Flash did that season, which was also trying to build to the crisis, um, a much better way of getting people excited for the crisis to come. So. Yeah, I have to admit, even though I only watched through season five of this, I am still very intrigued by season eight and just haven't got a chance to. Um, it just still blows my mind that we went from this guy with a bow and arrow suddenly becoming like this ghost godlike creature who can save the multiverse. Um, yes, so. <laughs> that is that is kind of what happens. He becomes the specter, uh, which is this kind of like mythic character from comic books. Um, and helps reset the universe uh, after the monitor and the anti-monitor fight and it's like a whole thing yeah yeah I've seen the the crossover and boy was that a that was a trip <laughs> um, Aaron how far have you watched I know you've watched at least through season five also yeah that's when I stopped that's when the, the part where they had the cliffhanger where all his friends were trapped on the island and it exploded yes. and I said this is a good place to stop because I'm just done with this. I, I don't want to watch any more of this. This this was, I'll just pretend that all of his friends and family died except his son. And so I'll, that's my, but then I did watch the, the crisis 
and the final episode. So I knew that's not exactly how it ended. See, they sucked me in with that because I thought I watched that finale and I was like, this is so great because it's like literally every member of the cast could potentially die in the in that finale. It's like this giant cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, well, this is amazing. This gives them an opportunity to really reset and like try something new in season seven. And then they just like don't, they don't capitalize it at mm-hmm. all. And uh, and then I quickly fell off of season seven all after right. a few episodes. Yeah, like season five just like really bothered me that like, I mean, there are so many other moments i guess in earlier seasons but i did like the whole he has to have a team now like this Mm -hmm. is certain like arrow has to have like his own like avengers almost where everybody has Mm -hmm. their own superpowers he's the guy with the arrow and then there's like the guy who has like the rags that like are alive (laughs) his name is literally (laughs) ragman I don't even remember what like one guy just had like two guns. <laughs> that was his power. Is he Mad Dog. People. Yeah, he just shot people. <laughs> yeah. I think he was Wild Dog. I wild mean, Dog? Something yeah. dog. Yeah. Yeah. That, He's that, great. That... He becomes the mayor at the end of the series. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. That's the most unbelievable thing you've said all podcast hours. <laughs> um I guess I want to slow down for a second because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of lore to get into in this 180 episode series. Um, Aaron, could you give like a general overview of the premise of the show? So the premise of the show is that Oliver Queen has been um, away for five years. Uh, Initially, we think he's just been stranded on island for five years and the city of Starling City has fallen into disarray while he has been gone. Um, he has been given a task by his father to uh, take on the the criminals who have ruined the town, and he's going to do that through uh, becoming the Green Arrow. Well, he's originally he's the Hood, then he's the Arrow, then he's eventually Green Arrow. Um, so he he has a bow and arrow. He he shoots arrows at people and he fights crime. And he has other allies like his bodyguard and best friend John Diggle. Uh, his uh, love interest and uh other sidekick felicity smoke um eventually you know uh other characters that meet up with the green arrow character like black canary flash is introduced but really it's just about his crusade against crime like pretty much any other superhero yeah yeah although i feel like you really kind of you know smooths over the part where he starts off as a serial killer uh, we're, the... we're talking about that <laughs> yeah so oh man yeah this show's decision to like that one of the things that drives me crazy about the show is that like at first it's like he kills people because like, he's really intense and then he has to learn that it's not good to kill people and then he grapples with his choice to not kill people and then at a certain point they're just like all right actually he can kill people again it's fine <laughs> And, and that is why I did not get past season five is, is this show, not only did it have to reinvent itself like every few seasons, but it also had to keep telling the same arcs over and over again until it just gave up. It's like, okay, killing is bad. You know what? Killing is okay. You know what? I shouldn't keep secrets from people. You know, I need to keep secrets from people. Just, it's just like rinse and repeat. Just Oliver never learns his lessons. And it's right back where you started. Oliver puts a team together, he, so he talks down to them, and then he eventually learns to develop trust, but then something happens, and the team breaks up, and then it gets back together again. I mean, gr- <laughs> granted, you know, this could be said about The Flash, where, you know, Barry just needs a really good pep talk, 
It just tells him to run really fast. But I love yeah. those pep talks. Like when, when Joe comes up to him and they just have that good sit down, it's 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 good. Run, Barry. That run. show has way too that show has way too many uh hallway talks for me. That's <laughs> fair. Fair. Um yeah, so no, this show is definitely not without its flaws. Um, uh, but I guess before we go into too much of I I do want to like start with a positive um and something that really stood out to me about the the pilot but also just like the first two seasons overall is it feels like such a time capsule melding two different uh superhero properties that i didn't think would go well together but i think do which is it feels very much like you had chris nolan's batman's fused with sam raimi's spider-man and it's like this is an odd combination but i think it works what do you mean That's with Spider-Man exactly? Yeah, I don't see the Spider-Man. For me, it's more like it's Batman Begins meets Gossip Girl with mm. a touch of Lost. Like that's what the pilot is promising. Fair. And it, and I think I did, it's so interesting to compare to where it yeah. ends up, which is just in a very different place entirely. As someone yeah. who never watched Gossip Girl but had seen plenty of commercials when like watching Smallville, as like this feels very Gossip Girl, but like I've never actually watched it. But like, I know in my heart that it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, I, I guess the, the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man parts of it were more just like the initial love triangle between like Tommy Merlin, uh, Laurel and, and um, Oliver. That like the very... love triangle that like nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, well, in that relation between Oliver and Tommy felt very much to me like the you mean the uh, one that nobody cares about? Yes, hey, yeah, hey. You're, you're right about that. It's they're definitely going for a Peter Parker, Harry Osborne vibe with those two. Yeah. So yeah, that's the other. But no, watching this again, uh, yes, I, I definitely get more sense of like, I yes, I can see the CW, you know, leaving its mark on this mm-hmm. um, for for better or worse. I mean, that's kind of what you get, and I think some of that drama is really what you know, got people engaged and. Um, definitely what I was interested in sometimes when the right. action was slow. Can, can I backtrack a little bit and saying before we watched the show and it was announced, I just scratched my head thinking, why are they making a Green Arrow show? And it's not even the same guy from Smallville. Yeah, yeah I had that same feeling. That was actually part of why I was resistant to watching it at first, because to me, like I thought, OK, well, you've built this whole thing with Smallville. And I, I will admit I fell off of Smallville in like the second half of that series. I definitely didn't get all the way. To I think the very that was end. a wise decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But one, but even when I was watching it, they already had established the the character of Oliver McQueen as Green Arrow, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, if you're going to do an Arrow show, just do a spinoff of Smallville. Why are you just restarting? And then, and then when the first like kind of buzz around the pilot came out, it was very clear. Like everyone talking about it was like, oh, they're trying to do batman but for tv they're trying to do batman but for tv and i was like i don't need to see batman for tv i watch batman in the movies and it's great Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so that really pushed me away from it for a while but then and then the flash was what really got me to give it a chance because i liked but by then i liked the character of the flash and i liked oliver on the flash and and felicity Mm -hmm. on the flash and so i was like okay i'll give it a try and um and yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see it chart that evolution from like mm-hmm. trying to be Batman, like Christopher Nolan's Batman, to then eventually being willing to be like its own thing entirely, mm-hmm. like way more comic booky, way less grounded as this pilot is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love about that, 
what you just said is it reminds me of what's on the DVD cover. It says another dark brooding comic book reimagining without comparison. Those two sentences can't coexist. It's either like something else or it's without comparison. <laughs> and then again, it's like with, you know, feature, fil feature film level special effects. I'm like, yeah, if you're comparing it to like Air Force One. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that, honest, that sounds like genuinely an onion headline uh, <laughs> to describe the arrow. <laughs> yeah, somebody's editor wasn't paying attention when they wrote that. Um, but no, I definitely, I mean, once again, for, for better or worse, one of the biggest marks of this show is like how much it wants to be Batman, but for television. Um, I mean, they literally like had to write and then unwrite Harley Quinn into the show <laughs> once they yeah. were like, oh, never mind, never mind. We can't do that. Um, and also we have, so when we see Liang Yu for the first time and he's getting rescued, we get this uh, Slade Wilson mask. Mm. And that was actually in the original pilot, it was a Batman mask. And then at the last what? minute DC, yeah, in the last minute DC was like, you can't use this. And they're like, why? And they're like, because you can't use, you can't use anything to do the Batman. And so then they changed it and they edited in the Slade Wilson thing, which is so crazy because then they do this whole thing with Slade Wilson later on in season two. So, but yeah, that's, that was, they were really trying to make you think about Batman to the extent that they were like, maybe this was a place where Bruce Wayne also was shipwrecked for a while. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that just makes me think like he killed Batman. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Who are we to say? Do we ever see Batman and he all kills the a lot of people together? <laughs> nah. Yeah. He, uh, Batman is, by the time we find out about Batman in the Arrowverse, he is missing and presumed dead. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's something to it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's all a, a vast conspiracy. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, this show is just a wild ride from the start to finish mm -hmm. um but yeah that that pilot i do want to get into the pilot mm -hmm. um because it does start off in a way that i think is a little rough um a lot of shaky cam um mm -hmm. and a lot of bad uh wig beard uh, <laughs> for oliver which they later reference i i'm not sure if that's like an in joke or not but <laughs> i feel like it's doesn't hit as well as they think it does his wigs man they're mm -hmm. they're really rough <laughs> he also sort of like in the flashbacks has like a lot of like i don't know they somehow make him up to look like a real scumbag this is like the way his hair is parted this <laughs> funny yeah no they're trying to go for that like cringy sort of you know gossip girl villain in the beginning <laughs> yeah. that's what they're that's the look he's supposed to be this playboy you know the 2012 version of a playboy yeah yeah, and they make it work. I, I mean, I think you definitely get the sense of like, this is not the same person um, that, you know, left for that island. Um, although I will say it's kind of weird for us as the viewers because we don't get a lot of time with that um, Oliver, like just in like some brief flashbacks prior to him getting on the island um, with Sarah Lance, who was not yet... Uh, <laughs> Katie Lotz. So that was yeah, always and, interesting. And said she was played by Jacqueline McInnes Wood, who is a great soap opera actress. She was starring on The Bold and the Beautiful when this was shot and was kind of like an up and coming ingenue on that show. And uh, it was really interesting to see her get this role here. It seemed very clear that this was like a one off, like she was not meant to come back in any way um because you know there just would be no reason for you to cast her given her actual you know her mm -hmm. main job in that 
that role. So it's so it's so funny that like I think these comic book properties get a lot of kind of focus on, oh, what is your five-year plan? You, he's going to be on an island for five years and you must know what everything that's going to happen, like just like Lost. And it's so clear from the very beginning, like, oh, they had no idea what they were doing. And whatever show they thought they were making, like they changed it three, four or five times by the mm-hmm. time that we got to the end. <laughs> yeah, it, it very much reminds me of another CW show, um, Supernatural, that like, like, okay, we kind of have a plan. Actually, no, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. Like, just just don't tell me you have a plan. Just be honest. I, I don't want you to, to lie to me this much. Like, you're worse than Oliver. Stop it. Um, Aaron, how, how do you think the pilot works as, like, an introduction to this, this world? Like, watching it again, was it something that, like, yeah, I can, I can see why people got hooked on this, or I can see why I was invested in this for a few seasons? Um, I mean, I think that compared to what the tv landscape was at the time there i think smallville had left a hole that needed to be filled it like went off like a year before so there's i think people were looking for something and at the time nobody had really done comic book action like this on tv so even though like you kind of look at it now it's like these fight scenes like the choreography is like pretty good. The camera work is not so great. Um, but like at the time it was like considered kind of cutting edge for TV. Uh, like then people were like, yeah, like just watch Daredevil. <laughs> but at the wow. even like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think ended up having better fight choreography as time went on. Um, but I, I think it's it's really... Um, yeah I, I I don't know what people's impression of just the first episode was because I don't want to say like this is a bad first episode but I feel like Alex is oh we, we talked about this before the podcast Alex you always say you gotta usually with like half an hour shows gotta give it a couple episodes I think this definitely like you watch a couple episodes you really get a feel for it once you start especially once you start getting the real flashbacks on the island, because that's, I think, what sucked in a lot of people. It wasn't necessarily this first episode. This first episode had enough intrigue that was there, especially probably because they're like, I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's like his mom had him tortured? What? <laughs> yeah. What a uh, queen. What a great mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Or, or just the fact that like, they have that Deathstroke mask. They're like, well, I want to know why that's there. Yeah. Yeah. They throw in just enough nuggets to, to keep you wanting to come back. But, but this is a very like exposition, especially in the, it slows down once you get like halfway through. But at the beginning, it's like exposition, exposition. I have to explain who I am, what I'm all about. It, it, you know, I need to do it through voiceover. Can't really just let it develop naturally. I mean, again, this is a pilot, so this is you know their this is their pitch to the, the to the channel, so it makes sense and to the audience too. And to the audience. Like there's there's this unofficial industry term called pilotitis, uh-huh. uh, and I think this suffers from it significantly. <laughs> there, like especially like there's you know I feel like every um, every Thea 
scene is just yeah. so much like this is who I am and this is how I feel about what's happening and this is all of the things that happened to me before you met me and all of the things that are going to happen to me in the future and it's just like no, literally no one talks like this ever like yeah. <laughs> she like gives like ima- like imagine Josh if you had a, cl- a therapy client who spoke with such clarity about all of the trauma and the way in which it impacted her in the way when she is talking to Oliver in that party scene where she's just like listen I thought that you and dad were dead and so I had to and I was alone and this and it's like no one would react this way to this moment they would just be like leave me alone stop judging me and that would have been it but but I will say Willa Holland I think is really good in the role and I think Mm -hmm. that she shows even in those moments that like there's something to her that she could bring to this character Mm -hmm. to elevate it above just the kind of terrible monologuing about our feelings and our Mm -hmm. experiences that pilots often have to do as a way to establish who the characters are for people no. Right. Uh, so, uh, fun fact. Fun fact number one. Um, can anybody guess who? You might know this, Alex. Does anybody? I don't know if he still is. He at least was. Does anybody know who Willa Holland's stepfather is? Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's um, Carrie and uh, Scarface director Brian De Palma. And oh, act- wow. Yeah. And actually, um, she was discovered while she was playing like in her backyard. Their neighbor, Steven Spielberg, said, you got to put the camera on her. She's got to be a star. Ugh. Now, of, of course, you know, people who don't like that sort of Hollywood nepotism, you know, I know uh, people as of late, I feel like are a little more adverse to that. Another person who has another famous parrot is Katie Cassidy's father was David Cassidy. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, from the, the Partridge family. Uh, but yeah, it's not like back in um, like older actors like Robert Mitchum, like rolled the rails as a kid and got like escaped from a chain gang. Like I'm not even making that up. Mm-hmm. We're, now it's like, no, so-and-so's actor it had an actor parents and <laughs> yeah. yeah but so i will say by the time that willa holland was on arrow she is was a kind of you know a a known quantity when it came to at least uh cw style teen soaps like she got her start on the oc as marissa cooper's little sister and then she had an arc on gossip girl after that ended so she's she had been around and had proved her bona fides by the time she hit the shores of liang yu uh over on arrow (laughs) okay that's very interesting that she was discovered uh quote unquote by steven spielberg that's wild wow just tells me that Steven Spielberg needs to learn how to go to a party and not just look to cast people. Just you need to just enjoy the party, Steve. Just calm down. Well, that's um, like that's the same story as um, Alden Ehrenreich. He got he got discovered because he was he was at a bar mitzvah that Steven Spielberg was also at, and for the bar mitzvah, he and like two of the other people did like a short uh, film like to be played at the bar mitzvah and Steven Spielberg was like, you're amazing. This is fantastic. And that's like how he got the Hollywood. (laughs) Okay. So if you want to get your big break in acting, just go to a party with Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And going back, I would like say that pretty much every character in the show, including Thea could highly benefit from therapy. 
Um, just just <laughs> thinking, Alex, to your uh, one of your other podcasts uh, where you've been talking about uh, cap support corner or cap support yeah. group. I think yep. all of these characters <laughs> could benefit from a support group because mm-hmm. it's rough. I mean, Oliver clearly has some PTSD. Um, just a tad. Just 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 a lot. Um, so. Quentin Lance, very professional police detective. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, super professional. Oh, uh, yeah. I, and I was sort of questioning, so is he, like, the only detective in the city? Like, are they really going to assign him to Oliver's case? That's responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's a very small town, Starling City, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you know, if you know one person, you know all of them. It's, it's, it's very tight-knit. Um. Yeah, that's definitely one of the, the weirder things. It's like, this is not a good idea. And, and clearly more as like, this is this is really bad and just keeps mm-hmm. going. So one of the the fun, just kind of quirky kind of drama things that's like, you know what? Don't think about it. Just enjoy the sparks flying. Yeah, we don't even get into Tommy Merlin's deal in this episode, other than he's just like Oliver's fun-loving best friend, uh, but he definitely uh, could benefit from therapy <laughs> once yeah. you watch the full run of that character. Man, man, but did you guys like Tommy Oliver or Tommy Merlin rather? Tommy Oliver from Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tommy Oliver and Power Rangers. Best Green Ranger. <laughs> did you guys like Tommy Merlin? Were you upset when he? You know, did well. Let me ask this because we're focused on the on the uh, pilot. Watching him here are you do you think there was enough there for his character that he could have had a larger impact on the series and he ultimately ended up having not really i think the they do a i think a a good job of turning him into somewhat of an antagonistic force later on in the season as like he knows about oliver's secret but he's not supportive of it um that kind of reminds me of um kind of daredevil um with the relationship between matt murdoch and foggy when foggy finds out um but yeah other than that i don't know they didn't seem to have a lot they wanted to do with with tommy other than like him having daddy issues which is another you know motto of this show is everyone has daddy issues um <laughs> but to be fair that's like 90 percent of tv shows um but yeah other than that like it's like okay we want that and we want a love triangle and we don't know what to do with this guy mm-hmm. so i feel like they kind of just didn't know what they were doing and so it's it's kind of for the best that they killed him off um mm-hmm. i think it literally it... dropped a building on him if i remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah because you know what oliver really needed another thing to be tortured and guilty about mm-hmm. yeah. Aaron, what do what you do think you, yeah i I, mean, <laughs> I i don't think when i first watched this show i really bought their friendship i bought it a little more now and just that like yeah they're just terrible rich guy friends and like i bought that (laughs) um i kind of found him whiny later when he's struggling with oliver being a superhero his dad being a super villain and then when he died i found it really strange that suddenly he's the emotional anchor of the show because i'm like i'm really supposed he and laurel were the two characters i cared the least about Mm. the time the the season had ended 
Yeah, I th I think that that was kind of the the Laurel and Tommy characters were both really them trying to give this show a, a kind of something that fit in with the CW aesthetic mm -hmm. of kind of we're gonna we're gonna do superhero stuff, but it's got to be a teen show because that was really what the CW was all about at that point in time, outside of you know super mm -hmm. like uh, uh what's it called Smallville, um, uh, which you even know that had plenty of teen angst in it for a long time until they all became like 45 years old <laughs> right and then of course like there's there's all those you know passing mentions it's like oh yeah like my best friend cheated on me with my sister or stuff like that i everyone's just horrible you know partner to one another and stuff like that it's just par for the curve of course i guess yeah, yeah well, and there's a way where that could be fun. You know, there's a way where that could be a fun element. A very sort of it, trashy element. <laughs> but uh, but the I feel like this show never nailed the soapy aspect of things. I feel like they yeah. always tried and it never really mm -hmm. came together in the way that they were hoping because it, right. it had to maintain this brooding, angsty tone all the time. And you can't do that and have kind of fun, soapy relationship drama. It doesn't mesh right. well. Yeah, it doesn't. No. It's not as apparent in this episode, but it sort of turned more into a family drama when it more focused on him and his sister and his mother which i thought worked a lot better than like oh it's all these these hot singles like who's gonna end up with who <laughs> <laughs> yeah which you know they, they they do a bit of that that is fair um but i know i i do think the the pilot does suffer a lot of what you were talking about alex of like this is a pilot. We have to make sure you know who these people are and you know these three facts about them. You know, uh, you know, uh, Laurel is a, a lawyer and her sister died because of Oliver. That's all you know about her. Good day. They just yep. like just keep telling you over and over again. Um, I'm glad that one character they don't do that for um, and who may be my favorite character in the show is Diggle. Um, I think they they use him pretty sparingly in the first episode, but already I really like the like the banter that he has with with Oliver uh, with Stephen Amell of just like okay I have to babysit you and now you're gone. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily buy you know the whole Oliver just like <laughs> incapacitating Diggle in like suddenly. Uh -huh. it's like, the door's locked. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, yeah. I think part of that is that it really looked like a, you know, no offense to our founder, Bill Bodkin, but it looked like a really uh, wrestling kind of move that he does <laughs> there, which is like, I don't, it's just so hard to believe that Stephen Amell could take uh, David Ramsey out in any capacity. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Amell, famous, you know, uh, wrestling aficionado and sure. uh, also on Heels, which we talked about on TV break. We sure um, did. That was a show that we watched. <laughs> yes, we did watch it and we had thoughts. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really like the, you know, the kind of the blossoming of that relationship, like kind of going from uh, like Diggle being like, okay, I have to look after this entitled guy on a suicide mission to, okay, like this is like someone he considers a brother. I think they, they do that really well. Um, and I think they buy it in a way that, later seasons like when they do have conflict between them that was always for me what kind of felt more um significant and really what hit me harder than some of like the uh, more romantic relationship drama or like the the family drama of like oh you kept a secret from me um but more like the falling out between these two um these two men who like have this like really um 
you know, incredible bond built between them. So I think you don't really get that from the pilot though. They're, they're, it's, it's not, it's not even that at all. But I think that's good. Like, I think that the, I, I think that the interesting thing about Arrow as a show is that they really took an honest assessment of what was working about it and what wasn't and constantly was willing to change things if they needed Mm -hmm. to. Uh, Sometimes it took them a little too long to change things. Like, for instance, I think the Laurel Lance character, they they quickly saw that it just wasn't in the cards for her and Oliver's character, uh, Oliver, uh, Stephen Amell's character in a romantic sense but then they just really weren't sure what to do with her for a long time because she was there as primarily his love interest right and close friend and uh, so i feel like they kind of struggled for a while to figure out what to do with her and they gave her a lot of they they really tried um but it, i think it ultimately didn't work until she, that character spoiler is killed and her alternate earth doppelganger uh who is evil comes in and actually lets katie cassidy um give a compelling and interesting performance instead of the kind of flat performance that she was giving up until then um and which goes to show it's a great example of that oftentimes we kind of blame actors for not giving really charismatic performances but it sometimes it really is dependent on the material like if it's just as soon as they changed her to evil laurel she was just so much more interesting and so much more charismatic i don't know did you guys get to that in the show a little bit and she definitely was having much more fun um because yeah <laughs> she had more to work with um you know i think it's yeah definitely a bit of like the, the hating christensen effect of like you know you all, you're dependent on your writing like you could only go so far with the writing and directing you have yeah but so that's an example of them kind of waiting a little too long to pull the trigger and something, but they really did always like, they saw like, okay, this Walter guy, who's like supposed to be this like bad evil stepdad, nobody cares about him. He's boring. Who cares? Toss him out. You know, like the, what's interesting about Maura Queen is like, oh, she's actually seems to genuinely care about her kids, but also seems like maybe a bad guy. Let's explore that. And they kind of explored that to the end of that character. And they were willing to not drag that out too long too, which was kind of cool, you know, in terms of that arc and also seeing like okay tommy as a best friend character there's not much there because he represents who oliver was and we can only play out that tension for so long but john diggle as a new best friend to represent who he is becoming there's actually a lot there because david ramsey's a really compelling actor and he's able to draw a lot out of stephen amell there's a playfulness that is in those scenes in the pilot that that stephen gets to have with david that he doesn't have with anyone else on the show and i think that's really an advantage so i think it's just so interesting to see like it's very clear what show they were setting up and it's so interesting to know that they really were willing to deviate from that plan significantly to lean into what works the best example of course is felicity who's not even in this episode um, who becomes kind of like the 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 romantic lead of the show by the end of the first season yeah and and i'm glad you brought that up because i was about to transition that because that is definitely you know one of the biggest turns it took especially from the the source material where um Laurel's um, Black Canary is, you know, the perpetual or one of the perpetual love interests for Oliver Queen. And so I believe Felicity Smoke was not even a comic book character at all. Like it just was original mm-hmm. character. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. No, she wasn't. I don't believe she was originally. I think that she became one after, uh, after the show and the success yeah. of the show, I think. I know that's true for John Diggle. John Diggle was written yeah. into the comics after the fact, but yeah. but they basically, they put her there as, as just kind of like IT support for him. And it was, there was no intention of it being a long-term character, never mind a, you know, a series defining love interest, but they just had great chemistry together. And she was a fun character for the writers to write. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just leaned into it and, and really changed the show a lot because of that. Yeah. 
and, and Aaron, I want to get you in on this um, because, you know, that was, you know, once again, definitely a, a turn away from canon and, and definitely something that was, you know, a, an audible of sorts as, as the show went on or as the first season went on. Um, how did you feel about Felicity as a character and just her relationship with, with Oliver uh, just throughout the show? Um, I initially really liked Felicity um, and I think not really the fault of uh, I'm blanking on the Emily Bet Richards. Yeah, I'm not, and no fault of her, but I think that in some ways they gave her more to do, but in other ways they really focused too much on the relationship drama, which bothered a lot of fans. Um, that there's like, are they together or are they not together? You know, they get, you know, you kept something from me, like you said before, oh, we're going to break up and then we'll be, you know, separated for a, um, for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, now, it wasn't necessarily as bad, uh, as somebody who watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Alex can probably attest, the amount of times that they tore Fitz and Simmons apart on that show was like, it's like either yeah. it's like they're together, they're not. He's dead, he is evil, or she's in love with another guy. It's just they, they, they couldn't decide. She's stuck on another planet on the yeah, other side of the universe. Yeah, just, yeah. The universe, they literally said at one point, the universe does not want us to be together. Yes. <laughs> um, and it just, it was too much at some point. Um, at this, I, I kind of felt the same way. Um, but and initially I was very, you know, interested in the felicity character so yeah it's i think it's just in some degrees i think the writing just sort of failed um her a little bit so i i will partly agree i think like i i like their dynamic best when they're st still like flirting again know each other and felicity's like very um kind of uh, quirky and awkward around him um but i, I really did get into that relationship and Alex, I saw when Aaron mentioned fan reaction, you kind of rolled your eyes. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on that because I feel like this is another case of uh, fans being not always the best influence. Well, I just, so I think that like it's, okay. So what Aaron said is true, which is they did break them up uh, over a lot of kind of poorly thought out contrivances that are frustrating, right? Uh, but I also think that the fan conversation around the romantic side of the show can be very frustrating because it's a bunch of like comic book boys who are like, I don't care about feelings. I just want to see people punch each other. And like, oh, why do we have to listen to girls talk about girl stuff? Why can't it just be about boys hugging and, and, and kissing and stuff? No, not, that's not what they want to do. <laughs> um, but, but so it's just like, it's so, it's so deeply frustrating to be like, well, you have to appreciate what show you're watching and this the romantic side of the show has always been a piece of what they were doing this is you know comic books are soap opera as much as anything else is mm -hmm. like all comic books rely on this sort of relationship angst as well you know like you talk about spider-man earlier like spider-man is all about like those kind of soap opera angst uh happening all across the city right it's all about like who which which girl is he dating can he maintain the relationship while also trying to be a superhero that's a core tension so I think that the annoyance could was justified 
at a certain point, but then would get amplified by kind of bad fans who were just like, oh, why do we have to listen to girls and girl stuff? This is only here because girls watch this show. And it's just like, relax, you know, like everybody yeah. needs to grow up a little bit. Yeah, it, it is very much the, the same people who are, you know, have a, a very... Uh, vocal opinion about She-Hulk right now. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but they've like they've been around forever though, right? It's always yeah. like it's the guy who complains that there's a love interest in an action movie. It's like, why do we have to? Why do they have to put that there? Why can't it just be about guys with guns? Like, why do they have to have a girlfriend? And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like, what is up with you that you really don't want to see women on screen? Like, that's kind yeah. of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I think that was the majority of it. I think the other part of it that just kind of also was working against them was the kind of the canon police of like no in the canon like mm-hmm. like oliver ends up with you know black canary he, yeah yeah it has to he, yeah. he can't be um which is i mean once again we're seeing that with she hulk and they're in the most recent mm-hmm. episode of that so i mean <laughs> you know they're they're nothing not predictable um which is what she hulk pokes at so fun um but yeah i don't know i i think Felicity is is a wonderful character. Um, I think the the show doesn't always do the best writing for her, but I think you know. Yes, Emily and Pat also Rivers. she has great chemistry with Grant Gustin on yes. her, both when Grant Gustin appears as Barry Allen on on Arrow, and then when she popped whenever she pops over. And I feel like when the when the Flash was initially pitched, they really thought they were going to be able to shuttle actors back and forth across shows more consistently, and they really they set up all this kind of romantic tension between Grant between Barry Allen and Felicity Smoke and Oliver uh, and, and Oliver and Iris there was kind of like this interesting quad uh romantic drama that they just ended up not logistically being able to play out at all which is a bummer because they had such great chemistry together those two actors I think even more chemistry than um than she has with Stephen Amell yeah yeah, Although yeah. that's a testament to Grant Gustin, because I think Grant Gustin also has great chemistry with Stephen Amell. I think he has great chemistry with everybody. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, and I will say, I mean, I think Emily Bat Records also has like great uh, chemistry in season three with uh, Ray Palmer, Brandon Routh's character. Yeah. So they 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 do the relationships well. Um, it's, just... well and that's a great not to cut you off but that's a no, great example of like they had like having another like romantic rival come in is a very natural way to play out romantic drama but what they kept doing to felicity is they would introduce these romantic uh, you know these uh, alternative romantic uh characters and then write them off to be in their own shows right like so grant yeah. gusting gets introduced but then becomes the star of his own show now he can't be a rival to oliver same with brandon routh and it's like so instead they end up relying a lot on really contrived things like oh no oliver has a son that no one knew about and i and you kept it from me and so now i'm not going to talk to you for a long time even though okay like that seems really arbitrary and then like remember when she gets shot and is paralyzed for a while and then get, and then thanks to a microchip can walk again <laughs> it's like oh, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff that is less satisfying than just having a more interest like having another interesting mm-hmm. romantic rival come in and, right. and that you can actually be engaged with that yeah once again very uh mm-hmm. batman-esque like a, a barbara gordon situation so mm-hmm. right yeah it's also the downside of just being a show that airs 22 episodes a year for eight yeah. years you know like it's just a lot of content that you have to get through definitely definitely and w- one thing i feel like we we've talked about a little bit but i do want to get into because aaron you mentioned this is something that um that kind of got you in um for the the first few episodes was everything going on the island kind of the flashback sequence um 
like I, I think later on i i could attest like once they went to like china and russia like i really stopped caring mm -hmm. um but like at first like that was something that you know excited you about the show yeah just like what is going on this island it's like very quickly find out that this is not a deserted island there are a bunch of like paramilitary guys on this island doing something um there is um I'm trying to remember who the the first guy he runs into, what his name was. I drawn a blank. The guy who like it's, it teaches just, him archery, right? Yeah, I forget what his name was. I know his daughter was named Shadow, but I forget what his name was. I'm looking it up. But yeah, he meets him, and like later he meets Slade, and like they just have to like take down like all these installations. You're just like, this is interesting. And then they had the whole Mirakuru plot, plot line and the second season which like was it's really the show's first steps into sort of comic book nonsense and for the most part it is like yeah okay is this like super soldier serum what is this you know captain america whatever but it's like you you bought it enough and like there was real like stakes you know seeing people have guns pointed at their head and you have to choose who to save it's like that's like good to just good dramatic storytelling yeah i i agree i think for you know i think that the first season on the island was not my favorite necessarily but i i think that by season two when you've got slade and you've got sarah and you've got all of this stuff happening it honestly got even it got to the point where i was watching the show more for the flashbacks mm -hmm. than for the main story for a while and that kind of tension would ebb and flow until like mm -hmm. you said it seemed like they just really ran out of story and they were like right. well what if he had what if he goes to hong kong and he meets amanda waller but it's cw amanda waller so she's young <laughs> and attractive yeah. and then like <laughs> what if he goes back to sterling city and no one knows that he's there okay like what if he goes back to the island but this time it's magic and it's like well we watched oh, lost we know what happens with a magical island so <laughs> it's they really just kind of and then they finally got rid of it as a storytelling crutch and they had a whole season without any flashbacks which i thought was pretty strong and then they basically just stole from lost again and did a flash forward um so instead of the flashback they did the flash forwards where you're seeing kind of the next generation of the green arrow team mm -hmm. in 2040 tackling stuff that was connecting to our mm -hmm. world in present day as well so and i thought that was really good too i liked that a lot i think i probably liked that in season seven better than i liked anything going on in the actual show on season seven <laughs> yeah which is a similar comment I've heard elsewhere. Um, Aaron, the uh, the archer that uh, trains Oliver is Yao Fei. Okay, Yao Fei, yeah. So yeah, he's his first teacher. And I, I, yeah, it was just, unfortunately you don't get a lot of that in the pilot. The, the pilot is just him running around, shooting arrows, making fire. <laughs> yeah, which- some, uh, they, Eventually when like they show how he knew like he was gonna get rescued, it's just like oh yeah that boat was like you've been lost for five years but that boat was like very conveniently there like you 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 somehow like got their itinerary you knew they were gonna be there <laughs> yeah later it's like oh yeah that contrivance we we know we know it's contrived not that hey, they well it's it's funny by, by that point when they show they they 
close the loop you find out that he like flies back to the island just to pretend that he's been like on the island the whole five years and it's like i gotta mess up my hair and and my clothes <laughs> i gotta right make the fire well and, and that is and, I, and of... it was like fall i think that season he fought Dolph lundgren it was it was weird. he did yeah and and that is one of the clearest examples of them not really knowing where they were going because they literally had to change the opening for the show right. from like I spent five years on the island to and after five years in hell it's like okay sure <laughs> island hell you, whatever it can you know whatever no it makes it's it easy purgatory you, you got it wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mandarin for purgatory yeah um but no I I will agree with with everything that you both have said about the on the flashbacks I just one thing I I do want to add is that um I really really like um everything they did with Slade Wilson I think speaking about chemistry again I think uh Manu Bennett and Stephen Mount have like incredible chemistry um and I think because of that season two just like is so strong uh because you have the sense of like this broken brotherhood of like this animosity between them um and I think for for me like i think the character slade wilson has like started to get like a lot more notoriety even outside of comics because of his appearance in this uh and so i think that's a a testament to uh manu's performance but also just kind of the way that they um used him as a um both a ally and then antagonist for for oliver yeah, and he I, has that sort of like big brother energy to Oliver in a way that kind of goes then then goes wrong in the way that sometimes big brother relationships goes wrong. And I really I agree. I like the way that they play that. And um, I'm surprised that Manu Bennett doesn't really you know, you don't really see him pop up other places that much. But I think he he's great in that season. And, and I agree. A lot of people still talk about that. You know, there's been a number of death strokes, right? It was death stroke that he was playing. Yeah. Or, There's yeah. been a number of death strokes that we have gotten since his, you know, there was one on Titans. Of course, there was kind of a tease of him in, in Justice League that never really came to pass. But I, I feel like uh, he's still considered the kind of iconic live action um, death stroke at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And in that season two ending, like where they're um, going back and forth between the, the fight in the present between Oliver and and Slade and the fight in the the flashback I I mean very simple editing you know it's it's not anything groundbreaking but I thought it was very effective so I don't know I'm I'm a sucker for that Mm -hmm. um parallelism it's it's not not hard but it works um let's see Aaron what would you say like looking at the show overall like how do you feel about the show overall? Like, what are your like big takeaways about its legacy or just your overall feelings about it? Oh, well, I, I think we kind of have skipped over a little bit the fact that um, you had some qualms with Oliver's methods early in this season um, that we didn't really touch upon. The, the fact that you uh, slandered him and called him a serial killer. Well, <laughs> well, that's because the show calls him that too. Um and because he kind of is like, let's look, he's going around with a hit list where he's mm-hmm. literally going and crossing people's names off it. He doesn't kill the the guy in the pilot. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. He kills, I want to say, at least a good 50% of the people he goes after in this first season. Mm-hmm. And then, as we mentioned, he gets into this whole flip-flop um, 
just moral argument with himself of like, is it okay for me to kill people or not? It's like, mm-hmm. that's not a question you should have to ask yourself if you're a good person. Right. Like, don't, right. what do you, why are you here? Well, I, but I, he I, was in, he was in hell for, or purgatory for five years, Josh. He was, he was, you know, tortured yeah. and destroyed. Right. His sense of self and morality was twisted. So mm-hmm. he needed to find his way back to the hero that he always wanted to be, mm-hmm. except then he stopped being that hero again, off and on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, I, I sort of, the question I, I asked that because um, in, in some ways like this, this show sort of just turned Oliver Queen into this wannabe um, uh, Batman when in the comics, he's very much known for his uh, left-wing politics. So and in some ways, I feel like him going after all these scummy billionaires and like even killing some of them in some ways feels very in line with that. I mean, to like he like he, like like, and, like because like usually the criticism people have of like Batman is like oh he's going after like like the disadvantaged people and like he shouldn't be doing that. And it was like he but this guy is going like at the like source of the problem which is all the scummy you know millionaires and billionaires who are poisoning the city you know he's you know you know and uh taking them out i i I don't know in some at least in my understanding of green arrow um that just seems more in line with his character i mean like i know his version in the dark knight returns is like a little different like he's like a full-blown communist than that but like still i i think in some ways like i don't know i feel like it's kind of speaks to some people i don't know well i mean i think as a character like green arrow is you know like intentionally modeled off of Robin Hood. Like you are supposed to get this sense of, you know, he is this uh, progressive force that's trying to bring justice um, to, you know, this society that is, um, you know, really taking advantage of people and, and you know, having people um, mm-hmm. suffer from the corruption and um, the hypocrisy and, and the wealth of the, the rich. And, and that is something that I, thought that the show was going to get more into when Oliver becomes mayor and it really mm-hmm. doesn't uh which is no. disappointing because that <laughs> was a know. yeah yeah they, they didn't know chance. what to do with they didn't know what to do with him as mayor mm-hmm. they just they were right. they had no idea what to do mm-hmm. um one thing that I think is funny though when you bring up the Robin Hood connection uh something I didn't notice the first time around but is just like so obvious that I can't believe I didn't notice it the first time around that struck me when I was watching it this time is he literally robs from the rich and gives to the poor in this first episode. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he is literally Robin Hood. And it was like, oh, of course, of course. Because like so much of the future of this arc for him, at least for a while, is about like, do I kill these people or do I let them go to jail? But literally here, he just, he finds a corrupt businessman who has screwed over all of these people and he steals all of his money through a digital arrow magic <laughs> and uh, and redistributes it to all of the guy's victims by right. the end of the episode. It's literally robin hood <laughs> yeah yeah usb arrow who knew hawkeye knew hawkeye knew that yeah. was the way um <laughs> yeah and, and no the the show definitely loses track of what could have been um the story of like this progressive hero like fighting for the impoverished and for the those left behind by uh the greedy and wealthy corporate um powers of the city 
uh, and instead it's like, you know what? He's Batman with arrows, yeah. um, which is disappointing because uh, they could have done a lot more with that. Um, uh-huh. I mean, there are times when they, they try to do that, um, but I will then say they very much swerve away from that in later seasons when Oliver and his team are literally deputized by the FBI. Um, oh, what? When was that? In season eight, six, no, seven, seven. Yeah. yeah. Is that like B- Batman and Robin and the, the old 60s shows? They're like deputized agents of the law. Well, there's pretty much. There's like this constant kind of back and forth in the later seasons of like, he's a vigilante, so he has to go to prison. But But maybe if he works with the government, then he doesn't have to go to prison. And it's so it's so contrived and it's so silly because like it's literally existing in a world of other superheroes and for some reason the Mm -hmm. green arrow is constantly plagued by these like threats of going to jail for being a vigilante because vigilantism is evil and and against the law but like nobody cares when supergirl or the flash come in and save people all the time it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know like what are we what are we doing this is it's it's a little it's a little tough to swallow when you're engaged in a world of superheroes that like this one guy is plagued by uh, assaults of vigilantism all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But yeah, Josh, if, if you're talking about the legacy of the show, um, I, I guess I remember we talked about I said I was going to have a hot take. Yes. OK, yes. so I'm ready for it. Um, I think the the big problem with this show is that it came out several decades after we really should have even still been having these types of shows with superheroes. I think if by the time that you had, um, you know, sometime somewhere in between the first Christopher Reeve Superman movie and Batman 89, we really should have been like, we don't need superhero shows. We can just make superhero movies. And the effects will be better. Everything will be about them will be better. By the time this show was on on TV, we're like, yeah, look at what like Christopher Nolan's doing with Batman. And like, man, they're gonna have this new Superman that's coming out. And then we just got this like really lightweight arrow show. You got this parallel uh you know, arrowverse versus the DC verse, where everything else is just like so low budget like with like the costumes and the effects and it's just like instead of like dividing your talents just focus on the movies i think you can do shows if um you're it's more you know in-house the way that marvel is doing but like why sort of have these two separate universes where one i mean is so clearly from a technical standpoint more advanced yeah. so i'll i'll stand up for arrow and arrowverse a little bit in that respect because i feel like there is a benefit to to the tv format when it comes to these heroes like so often when we watch these superhero movies now they're so bloated there's like they're two and a half hours long some like so sometimes three hours long now they feel like they have so much to do they have to establish they have to set up a world they have to set up a villain they have to establish the hero they have to establish all of his relationships and all of these supporting players they have to connect to something headed towards the future in some way and 
And it's just so much to do in Mm -hmm. one installment of a film. Whereas when you have, you know, I think 22 episodes at this point is probably a bit too long for where most people want to go. But even if you had a show that was, you know, more like Daredevil or the Netflix, um, the Marvel Netflix shows of the 13 episodes, you get a chance to really spend time with the characters in the way that you do when you read a comic book week to week. You know, you Mm -hmm. get to live with these people. You get to explore their relationships relationships you get to shine a spotlight on the supporting cast and let them carry an hour here or there and you really get to immerse yourself in a world so you do Mm. lose in terms of the verisimilitude of the effects absolutely and i do think arrow is is honestly of all of them kind of insulated the most from that just because it's so stunt heavy compared to the other shows Mm -hmm. and i think that in the future might cause it to age a little bit better as a result mm-hmm. um but i think that what you that's what you lose but what you gain is that time with the characters and if you care about this world and and this art this genre of storytelling isn't that what we want more time with these mm-hmm. people right yeah. i i think that, that that's all i think very that's a, that's a good point um I guess my other problem with Arrow is that it very much defined what the CW became. It's just like, okay, this is going to be a comic book show channel. This is what, you know, even things that aren't, you know, superheroes, you know, it's going to be based on Archie comics. It's going to be, I mean, there are a few outliers now, but it's just like, and I, I guess it's just the superhero fatigue in me is like, don't we have like enough of that? And, and just looking at like, okay, so yeah, the WB kind of definitely rode waves of like what was popular. So before this, it was definitely the teen show, which again, we, we kind of said carried over into Arrow. Um, but like, I think if you look at, I mean, Alex, you probably would know better than I, if you look at like what, the WB had and what UPN had as far as like their lineups before the merger was like more varied and probably a little stronger in, in terms of like um well it wasn't like the, it wasn't really varied it would just didn't have a lot of superhero content because well, yeah honestly, to me that's time, very <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty it was like the wb it was pretty pretty heavy on teen focused shows right. that was what they when they first started in the in the mid 90s it was much more uh focused of kind of like a people of color audience a mm-hmm. lot of sitcoms in that respect which then, and then was something we unfortunately lost yeah and that's unfortunately kind of the model that those networks followed which was okay we get we establish something with a with an audience of color because there's a lack of that in the market and so they'll come to us and once we establish ourselves and we can cast aside that and go towards younger people uh, of all of all races but with a heavily white cast because those people also are not being serviced enough. So we're going to go after those because, but uh-huh. they're kind of like a, on a higher uh, value for advertising, right. unfortunately. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily true now, but that was in the nineties, the case, and that's what happened and it's gross, but that is unfortunately right. what happened. Um, and then it kind of, then once it became the CW, their, their model was, we're going to produce shows that have markability uh, in other, in like foreign territory and on streaming. And we're going to sell the streaming rights. We're going to sell uh-huh. the secondary uh, market rights. And we're going to make a ton of money because we're going to shoot all of it in Canada and it's 
it's going to be as cheap as we possibly can. And that's what they did for a decade. Uh, uh-huh. Basically, like with Arrow being like a good test pilot of like, can we do this mm-hmm. long term? They did it. It worked well for a long time. And then, you know, the streaming market shifted and and, mm-hmm. C- and CBS and WB both wanted their own uh, streaming service. They yeah. wanted to. And at that point, it no longer made sense to have a have a network that was losing money mm-hmm. in order to sell their shows to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that's why they sold it ultimately to Nextstar, which just took over this right. this past week. And uh, and now if you're looking for diverse uh, options, you're going to get it because all of these expensive shows, even though they're not very expensive at all, when you look at like network budgets. Um, but as far as Nextstar is concerned, they're too expensive. So they're all getting canned that you we got like a year left on a couple of them. A lot of them were canceled already. And we're going to be headed towards like cheap sitcoms and kind of news programs is what mm-hmm. the expectation is moving forward. Right. So because the demographic now that they're chasing are people over 50 instead mm-hmm. of people 18 to 25. <laughs> so, but, but are you then confident in saying, and maybe it's not a easy comparison for you was the CW with arrow headlining it a stronger network than UPN and WB? Um, I don't, I don't know if it was stronger or weaker. I think it was just as kind of monolithic in terms of like what it was offering. It's just offering something different. Mm-hmm. Right. In, in as, as some, as again, as somebody who's very fatigued to superheroes, I like to watch Arrow once, once in a while, but <laughs> I, I, it, it's, it's just so much now. Um, I think that the whole idea of, you know, joining forces to compete against the other four big networks was a good idea on paper. It just, besides, you know, the getting money out of it through streaming, I didn't really pan out. Well, that's why they basically, they did it basically so they had another place where they could sell their shows yeah. and um, they made a ton of money in doing that. And then so as soon think as the they market just never, shifted. It kind of sounds like, they knew that this was an inevitability that eventually they were going to have to sell. Um, well, I don't know if they, I don't know if they had the foresight to realize that the net, that the market was going to shift, but once it did shift, it became inevitable that they were going to sell. Right. Right. I, I, I know this is definitely a, an arrow podcast, not a, a, a CW <laughs> podcast, but I'm, I'm not going to say that like, I'm going to miss the CW as it existed too much. Uh, Josh, I, I know you had a sort of eulogy for it, so I know you feel very differently. <laughs> well, I, I will say a few things. One is that, Aaron, right after our Cloud Atlas podcast last week, I, I totally guessed your hot take for this was going to be, this should have been a movie, or this they should have focused on movies, <laughs> uh, just because I know, as you said, you're, you're more of a movie guy, uh, which I respect, uh, even if I think you're wrong about this. Um, I mean, I do think this is a case where, Clearly, um, as Alex mentioned, like the seasons got really long um, and just like budget wise, like it is the CW. Um, like if this had, you know, been picked up by HBO, you know, and you had like a tighter season um, with more money, like I think, yeah, that would have worked. But I don't think that's necessary for this um, mm-hmm. because as Alex mentioned, like what we're looking for is, you know, this kind of comic book uh, adaptation that you don't get from film um like film like you can get a 
um, like an event comic adaptation really, but you don't really get like the story arcs that you get from comics where you like, you have these interactions building up um, for one or the other. And like, sure, some things might be filler, but they add to the world building and give you a sense of who are these characters and why do I care about them? Um, and that's something that I think Arrow did really well is it, it made me and a lot of other people care about it. And that's what I think is then also good about um, like Arrow's place in the wider Arrowverse is that it was ambitious. And, and as I kind of said in my catch of the column, like that meant it was messy sometimes. Like it didn't always work. Uh, you know, it, it often fell flat on its face. Um, but it tried, and a lot of times it tried, like, it worked really well. And the other thing is that I, l- looking back now, like, in, in retrospect, I'm much more confident uh, or much, you know, happier that they did give CW some of the keys to the car, even if they're like, you know what, we're not going to give you, like, Batman till later on, and even then, like, barely. Um, and, like, we're going to give you Superman later on, but kind of barely. Um, just seeing how much more success they had Mm-hmm. compared to you know wb's film side of things like you know mm-hmm. it, i don't think you know putting less focus on error would have made the snyder movies any better unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah uh i think those were you know mm-hmm. just what they were um so you know, i i think this fits a different um i don't know like it's a different need within the the realm of storytelling in this genre and i think for those of us that really do enjoy the genre um you know i think it it worked um mostly well um Mm -hmm. and i think definitely it was really wonderful to see how wide like it expanded by this piece as we talked about this was very clearly you know a batman begins-esque on uh, the green arrow character but then like we got so many like strange like offshoots of this like alex can tell you because he watched more of legends of more than i did but that show just went totally off the rails in a way that was so fun but like once again like there's no way you would have known like how did this stem from this show about a guy with a bow and arrow you know killing people on this list and i think that is one of the the greatest testament to it. it's like and, and not to say that like legend of Mara was like always like a you know award-winning like emmy nominated performance show um but like it filled so many different um needs that like or so many different uh wants from viewers that you know there <laughs> if you wanted something silly if you wanted something serious if you wanted something uh more grounded if you wanted something more supernatural like these shows had something for that. So I think once again, you kind of like broaden it past like the idea of just like superhero genre and think of it as more like, okay, Arrow's like the gritty kind of uh, detective-y show versus, um, okay, then you got Legends Mar, which is kind of like a Doctor Who-ish time travel nonsense show. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you also have something like Black Lightning, which is kind of a surprisingly political and like has things to say about our society you know i don't think you get that show either if you don't have this as kind of the gateway to yeah. all of that you know yeah and then you bring up the i only have seen the first season of black Lightning, but i think it's it's excellent and i definitely want to go back to the rest of that so yeah i mean the you know even if it did mean that yes the cw did get inundated by superhero properties i think there was enough variety in that 
that you really could get people of different interests brought in. Um, and then those who wanted all of it, you know, really got to see how fun it was to have this giant sandbox where, you know, maybe not any week, but, you know, theoretically, you know, every so often you could have, you know, Grant Gustin just pop into an era, episode of Arrow um, or, you know, Stephen Amell, you know, um, joining uh, Team Flash. So I think those are the things that I appreciate about Arrow and in the wider Arrowverse that you would have lost if you had just, you know, turned them into films. Yeah, I think it's impressively ambitious what they tried to do. And I think, like Josh said, they intermittently pulled it off. But the thing that I think is most interesting about Arrow to me, I think, honestly, my hot take, if I have one, is the opposite of Aaron's, which is that if you look that you can chart the evolution of comic book storytelling almost on a one-to-one -one level by the evolution of Arrow. It starts out as this kind of gritted, gra gritty, grounded, Nolan-inspired Batman Begins ripoff, right? And it evolves into this thing that is features time-traveling ninjas and immortal archers and alternate Earth doppelgangers and super teams and epic crossovers across different properties. And it's like, and and on top of that, you get a middle portion where it's just this incredibly, almost like fetishistic obsession with amazing stunt scenes every episode, which is certainly what Daredevil was for a while. So I just feel like you can kind of see the evolution of the genre over the last 10 years, just by looking at what happens in Arrow from start to finish. And uh, and I think that it doesn't get enough credit in that respect. I don't know if it was always a trendsetter in that, but it's this weird sort of mirror of everything that's going on in the culture as it relates to the genre of storytelling. And the fact that it was able to take a show about a guy with bow and arrow and allow it to be so permeable and and moldable and and allow it to evolve over and over and over again over eight seasons is pretty remarkable. I don't think anybody would have thought they could pull that off when it started. No. Yeah. Especially for once again, like we're talking about Green Arrow. Like this is not, you know, a super well-known character. As much as they try to mold him into Batman, this was not Batman. Um, and that's also, you know, pretty impressive. I mean. Once again, we, we talked about kind of this being preceded by Smallville, which, you know, had to remind you every three episodes that, yes, he's going to become Superman. Um, <laughs> you know, Arrow didn't have that. So, yeah. um, you know, I and think it's no dis no disrespect to Stephen Amell, but he is not necessarily the strongest performer as an actor. I don't think that he has the most range. I think that oftentimes this show asked him to do things that he that didn't play to his strengths either. I feel like he, we didn't get to talk about it a lot, but I feel like anytime they let him let loose a little bit and have some comedic moments, it was always so much better. And you could see that that is something that like Stephen Amell could do well and just rarely got the chance to. That's why I would always love to see when Grant Gustin would pop up because it would let him be kind of comedic and like exacerbated by Barry's deal. And, uh, and so I think the fact they were able to build this machine around him, even though he wasn't necessarily the best performer is also pretty interesting as a, as a point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we should say, you know, even if Stephen Mel didn't always know all the drama, boy, can he climb that salmon ladder? Like, <laughs> like just, no one can take that away from him. No, no. I mean, truly like his, his best co-star in the entire series. Is and the then, salmon and ladder. then they had the, when, uh, white canary she was on the show when sarah came back and like they were like had like two salmon ladders yeah <laughs> yes. like who can do it better <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and there's truly. a joke about the salmon ladder in the finale, even where uh, John Diggle does it for the first time, and he's like, "Oh, that wasn't so hard." And then Renee, Mad Dog, future uh, Wild Dog, future uh, mayor, says, "Well, that's because your arms are the size of telephone poles, and they are. It's true." <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, I really, I've, I've really enjoyed getting a chance to talk about Arrow with you guys. I know mm. we're kind of wrapping up, but before yeah. we do, I was curious: Do you guys have like a favorite antagonist on the show from what you've seen? Well, that's a great question. Um, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on that before I jump in? Well, Slade was certainly great. Um, I did like Malcolm Merlin. Um, I have mixed feelings. I don't think they should have brought him back. Um, even season four was a pretty bad season. Like it was so bad that like when the finale aired, I think like the Arrow subreddit changed to a Daredevil subreddit. it was it was was like that bad but um damien dark it was fun to watch neil mcdonough kind of ham it up yeah so it's 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 if i if i'm talking like who was like the best consistent it is definitely deathstroke but those first um i i don't think you have a wrong answer except that their racial goal was very much inferior to pretty much every other version yeah, not the not the best version of Rachel Ghoul. But oh. Talia Ghoul, who is somewhat of an antagonist, I liked when she popped up later in the series. I think she's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. And and I will say that Damien Dark is just the most hammy, like over the top uh villain in this, and I love it. I mean, I think he's even better in Legends of Tomorrow. Um and, and he's excellent in that. Um, but I, I, I will have to agree that um, you know, I'd, I'd give it the crown to, to Slate. I think uh, Manu just does an incredible job. Um, do you concur, Alex, or do you have a different take? Well, so I'll say about Damian Dark, I'll say I didn't really like him on Arrow at all, just because oh. it was like, why is this guy with magic fighting a guy with arrows like it just and it was like so it just didn't feel like it meshed well with the tone but once he went to legends of tomorrow i loved his character and i thought that that was such a great example of what you were talking about earlier where like if you let this thing breathe long enough it can shift into other kind of areas and then all these characters can kind of uh, prosper in different ways and I, I think that he's really really well suited to Legends of Tomorrow and even when he pops up on The Flash in a recent season I think he's really good on that as well um, but for me I mean I think Manu uh, Bennett as as Slade Wilson is probably the strongest villain but I have to admit that um, Adrian Chase has my heart because he's, I love the way that Josh Segarra played that character with this incredible level of homoeroticism towards <laughs> Oliver like it's so clear that he want like he is so envious of this man that he just wants to consume him like that's that's ostensibly the like that's what's explicitly said but he brings this sort of like homoerotic sexual aspect to it it, just in his performance and it just really makes it so fantastic like and it's just like it amplifies it to this level of campiness that just really really worked for me and uh, when they're on that boat at the end and it's and he's blowing up everyone Oliver knows, like, I swear, I didn't know if they were going to kill each other or if they were going to make out. And I was really rooting. <laughs> I think you know what I was rooting for. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think uh, I, I was kind of disappointed in that season that we didn't get more of Adrian Chase because I think that was the strongest part. And like their dynamic was so like 
yeah it was just it was like single white female like he was obsessed yeah. with him and like a really <laughs> in a way that was perfect and i loved that i loved oliver getting their treatment and it was really great mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it was it was great i i wish they focused less on the building of a new team and more of like the will they won't they of, of him and oliver <laughs> absolutely yeah. like there's a scene where like he tortures him late in the season where it's just so sexually charged and i didn't <laughs> i was reading reviews and no one was talking about it and i was like <laughs> it's so there i'm not going crazy <laughs> yeah well here you go you, now it's your opportunity to write a uh you know an article for the the site all about the <laughs> the hidden uh you know theme in that season of arrow i'm I might go to horny jail if I try to do that. <laughs> do you guys have a favorite Team Arrow member? There was so many over the years. Oh, I'd love to Diggle. I'm with Josh. Uh, Diggle was my guy. Uh, Diggle usually had something so wise to say, but then at the same time, he had like all these real struggles. Like for a while, like he really had to deal with like like his brother died. It's really weird. Like his brother came back and like he killed him. It was like. It's like, whoa, this got dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh now I, I will say that Diggle is is my my favorite. I, I love Diggle so much. I think that he just just totally owns every um scene he's in with um with Stephen Amell. I think David Ramsey is just an excellent performer. And I, you know, even though I, I am highly doubtful we're going to get um this this like supposed spinoff in- oh with- it's definitely not happening it hasn't been officially canceled <laughs> yeah. but after the next star news like it's definitely yeah. not happening yeah justice you i think it was yeah, yeah. which i mean once again not something justice you really is that like a sequel to sky high yes yes it's basically that's um, what they were going for yeah yeah but no i love him so much um one one character i i should mention that i think we have not gone into that i think they also did a pretty good job with was uh, Colton Haynes' Roy Harper. I think they do a pretty good job of turning what was best known as a character from the comics being um, a drug addict into someone who has like a, mm-hmm. I think a pretty powerful arc overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a good, I think, relationship with with Thea. I think mm-hmm. uh, he and Willa Holland have a good mm-hmm. um, on set chemistry or you know right. on screen chemistry. Right. Um, I kind of do wish they did, like, I guess that would have, I don't know. Some people would have not liked the drug addict route. I would have been interesting to really see if then, like, I mean, certainly you, it's not something that you're not allowed to do on TV. They could have done it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just remember he, he had like, uh, like bloodlust or whatever. And like Oliver is just like, you yeah. have to slap this bowl of water until you learn control. <laughs> Yeah, I liked I liked the Roy Harper character. I think that he got out of the show at just the right time. I'm glad that he left when he did. I liked how when he came back in the last season and like what the role that he played there. And I think the last two seasons actually, I liked that. Um, I would I would agree with you that Diggle is the best uh, Team Arrow character. I think it's like un like you just can't argue with it. But I will give a special shout out to uh, Juliana Juliana Harkavi's. Uh, Diana Drake, who I thought was excellent. They she comes in late in the series. She really is a breath of fresh air. They've at this point tried to kind of restart the Team Arrow a couple of times and really struggled to get anybody who would stick in a way that worked. Um, and I thought she came in and was just like, just it felt like she was supposed to be there from the very start. Like she just felt so at home in that role. And they oftentimes then didn't have 
enough interesting things to do with her character, unfortunately, but that's no, that's no fault of the actress or the character. And I also would be remiss if I don't say that, um, you know, uh, Oliver's daughter, Mia, uh, played by Catherine McNara, uh, McNamara, uh, was an excellent addition to the later seasons of the show. And I think she did such an amazing job channeling what made Oliver and Felicity interesting and like really felt like their daughter in a way that was uncanny. And I thought that she handled the action really well. I thought when she finally got to be moved into the present timeline and actually interact with her parents, she sold the emotion of it really well. I was really excited for her to get that show because I thought that she earned it based off of her performance. And and it was a bummer to see that she didn't get it. And now she's kind of like in this Walker, Texas Ranger spinoff or whatever yeah. said in the 1800s, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to be watching it, but I'm glad she's at least, I'm glad that the networks is taking care of her at least because she she earned it on that show she did she was really fantastic in a role that could have been really cringy and bad like oh it's the girl oliver and she's angry because she hates her mom and it's just like it could have been a disaster and i think she was a really good a good enough actress to to sell it yeah yeah and once again one of the things that makes me interested in going back to those those later seasons that i haven't gotten to so um yeah that's pretty high praise i may have to have to go back there everything's on Netflix still. So, um, yep. Uh, just closing question before we wrap up. Same question for both of you. I feel like I'm a, like a debate moderator all of a sudden. Um, Aaron, would you recommend this show to someone who's never seen it? Uh, I really have to get there. Um, would I recommend this to our dad? No. <laughs> would I recommend it to the average, you know, 20 something? Probably. I, or I probably say stop after season five and then watch like the last season. <laughs> okay. And Alex, same question. Would you recommend this to someone who's never seen it? I would say if you like superhero content, if you like genre storytelling, if you like Buffy, for instance, if you'd like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would say you should watch Arrow. I think that it 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 ebbs and it flows, you know, certainly. Uh, but I think that when you talk about binge watching something, just plowing through episodes to get through it, I think that a lot of those arcs are going to play a lot better than they may have felt in the moment. And I think that, like I said, it has everything that people who like this genre want, even if you don't think it will f- at the start. So I definitely think that it's worth watching. And out of all of them, I, out of all of the Arrowverse shows, I don't know if it would be my first recommendation, but it definitely would get my recommendation. Yeah. And I will add that that's once again, one of the beautiful things about it is that, you know, if you want to start with this, I mean, you could start with it because it is, you know, chronologically the first, but certainly there are plenty of other options that you could branch out to. That's true. I know teenagers today who are watching this show on Netflix for the first time and loving it. So I can at least report back anecdotally that it is playing for people who weren't watching it 10 years ago. There we go. The youth like Arrow. So (laughs) I think on that note, let's wrap things up. So just want to end by first, thank you, Alex, so, so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure having you on and we are so appreciative that you made time to join us today. Absolutely. I'm sorry to have gone on and on and on. I feel like we did a special bonus double-sized issue of your podcast. <laughs> oh, no. You know, that's what we sign on for when you asked you to come here. That's We, <laughs> we, we wanted that perspective. We wanted that content. So thank you. Um, and please, Alex, can you tell people where they can find you and what you are working on right now? 
Well, you can find me all sorts of places doing all sorts of things. You can follow <laughs> me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Median Thinkings. You can follow my film podcast at Cinema Joes. We're releasing once a month these days. We're going to be, uh, we did an episode on The Woman King recently. We're releasing a Mrs. Doubtfire episode this month. We've got uh, episodes on Wakanda Forever and Avatar 2 coming later in the year. Um, as for my work on the pot break, I am the potbreak.com's editor for podcasts. So I am in charge of all the podcasts. You can just click on the podcast tab, uh, on, um, the website, the potbreak.com. See all the stuff that I'm doing over there. If you listen to this podcast on pot break TV, you could also listen to my podcast that I do with Josh and Bill, uh, Bill Bodkin, uh, called TV Break, which runs the first Wednesday of every month. It's kind of on the ins and outs of all the world of TV news, reviews, and reactions. Uh, I also do a podcast, as we said, on the Breakcast, which is our sister podcast feed called Bill versus the MCU, where we're going through the MCU one, uh, two, three, four properties at a time. So definitely uh, give us a listen over there. We've been going for almost a year and we're almost done with the entire MCU as we know it it, but we have very fun plans for season two in store for next year so definitely keep a lookout for that nice yes as someone who has um, gone back and forth on the DC Marvel divide um, I will highly encourage every comic fan to check out the Bill vs. MCU podcast as well as the other podcasts you mentioned well thank you very much Josh and Aaron can you tell us where people can find you and if you have anything you're working on right now uh yeah so I'm at Aaron Sarnecki on uh Twitter so uh I usually just talk about movies that I've watched uh I'm trying to watch more horror movies right now since it is October Halloween will be coming up so I watched the uh 2018 installment of Halloween uh I had only seen the original, so I haven't seen all the sequels that that movie ignores. And it was all right. I mean, there was generally some good tense moments. There was some moments of violence that I think were a little too much. That I don't know. They're just kind of ridiculous. Like Michael Myers stepping, crushing a guy's face, and it's like splatters like a pumpkin. Or then, like, he actually uses a guy's head as a jack and lantern. It's like just a little, a little too much. But um it was still overall okay movie as far as what i'm working on um right now i'm just working on what we're going to be finishing the year uh out uh for our podcast but um i might be writing something in the future so just keep an eye out okay very cool thank you and yeah and definitely if you want to listen more to the anniversary brothers podcast they can listen to our recent film podcast on the breakcast where we talked about the 10th anniversary of cloud atlas um hopefully we did not butcher that movie too much after finding that alex really likes that movie so sorry about that alex if we did it's a a divisive film but a film that i love i it's okay that you guys don't (laughs) right we also talked about um a very deep cut was kirby cartoon from 10 years ago that uh we forgot about when we last did our last podcast yes that is a cartoon that's a cartoon that I did not know existed yeah. <laughs> until I received your uh, <laughs> your podcast in the mail. <laughs> yeah, and now you know. The more you know. That's that's what we do here at the Anna Brief Brothers Podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> just once again, thank you both so much. Um, Alex, definitely you're welcome to come on anytime, and we hope to have you on again soon. 
Um, Aaron, you're stuck with me, so get over it. Um, And so everyone, thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, you have failed the city.